If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu in Hebrew means the Lord exalts. And we are in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 6. And I asked before I started recording, does God exalt his servants or his enemies? And everybody said? His servants. But was Israel at the time of Jeremiah's prophecy serving God? Or were they not? Unfortunately, the answer is uh, no. But God never stops trying to get people to repent. And tonight we're going to have to talk a little bit about what repentance means. Because God's going to lay it out for us in Jeremiah chapter 3 and chapter 4. So in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The Lord said also to me, In the days of Josiah the king. Take out your little handout if you've got it with you, the one that shows the kings of Judah and the prophets that preached to them. And you'll see that Josiah was reigning before Jeremiah started his ministry. Jeremiah starts to minister as a prophet in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. Now Josiah was a good king, a godly king, right? He's the one under whose reign they found the book of the law and he said, oh my goodness, we better start doing this. Unfortunately, he followed who? Manasseh and Ammon. And they were some of the most wicked kings the world had ever seen. And they were kings of Judah. So verse 6, the Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? Is he talking about Judah? No, he's talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. After the death of King Solomon, the nation of Israel split into two nations. The northern kingdom called Israel, which were ten tribes, and the southern kingdom called Judah, which was two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. So he's saying, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? That's the northern kingdom. Where is the northern kingdom when this prophecy is given to Josiah? Long since gone. They went into the Assyrian captivity in 722 BCE, scattered across the globe. They have not yet been regathered. They've been scattered for 2,700 years plus now. So Josiah, the king of Judah is being told by the prophet, think about what the northern kingdom of Israel did. Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? What does he mean by, what does he mean by backsliding? In Exodus chapter 19, what did they say? All that God says we will do. Backsliding means, did they do it? They did not. Did God say, oh, well, that's okay, they tried? No, because they didn't try. They went into pagan idolatry as soon as the two nations split. The northern kingdom set up two golden calves in temples to be worshipped in the northern kingdom. And they worshipped the two golden calves until Jezebel married Ahab and brought Baal worship and Ishtar worship and all kinds of other gods into the northern kingdom. And the more false gods they could get, the happier they were. 
And when God would provide the crops in plenty, they would go and give sacrifices to Baal and Ishtar and thank them for the bounty that had been provided. So what did God do? He sent him prophet after prophet. He sent him Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of Baal, on the ropes, right? He, the, he gave him a challenge up at the Mukraka. You call on your God and, and have him bring up this sacrifice and, and eat up this sacrifice. And what did the false God do? No, nothing. nothing. So Jeremiah doesn't come to an English saying, well, scream louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom and indisposed. So they cut themselves. They cried all to no avail. So Jeremiah, uh, Elijah sent him down the mountain all the way to the brook, the brook that was just miles away to go get barrel after barrel of water to pour in his sacrifice. He says, now God, and God just whoosh, scoops it all up, water and everything. Did the northern king of Israel repent and turn back to God? No. Answer is no. Nothing God did would get them to yeah, repent. So that's what Jeremiah is telling Josiah right here is think of what they did. She has gone up on every high mountain. The high mountains, he's talking about the top of the mountain, is called a high place, a Bama. And every high place had a pagan altar on it. Everyone. And under every green tree, that is the evergreen trees that people today call Christmas trees, they would worship Ishtar under those trees. It says, there played the harlot. By harlot, what does he mean? Idolatry. Oh, no, no, no. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 36. Deuteronomy 28. Would you believe that when God says something, he means it? In Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. Lord says, And it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And look at verse 36. Yeah, Deuteronomy 28, verse 36 says, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. So Jeremiah is telling Josiah, look what God said. Look what God did. God did what God said. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 7. But he did not immediately send them into captivity, did he? No, first he sent what? Prophets to call them to repentance. Verse 7, I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. What does return to me mean? Repent. Turn away from your sin. Come back. Return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So when Judah sees the northern king of Israel being sent out into exile. Because they turned away from God and his commandments. And turned to pagan idols. What should they have done? 
They should have learned from it, right? They should have learned that when God gives a commandment, he expects you to what? A, break it. B, keep it. Keep it. Oh, they failed to learn. Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Jeremiah is telling Josiah very clearly that God expected the southern kingdom of Judah to learn from the exile of the northern kingdom. To learn that God takes it seriously when we break his commandments and we turn away from him. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatever things were written before... We're written for our what? Learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So what should we learn from the fact that the northern kingdom would not follow God's commandments and they got sent into exile, into captivity. The northern kingdom was destroyed. That if we do the same thing, we should expect the same result, right? Because, because that would mean God doesn't change. Because God does not change. Give me a verse. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Give me another one. Numbers 23 and 19. We could do this all night. The Bible's very clear. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. That's... Psalm 89, verse 34. See, we can just keep it up all night. The point is... We're supposed to learn from what's happened before. That when God gives us a commandment, he expects us to obey it. Now, I know, I know, people out there going, now, Wayne, all those commandments were to Israel, to which I go, no. They were to the children of Israel, which is not the same thing. But do the churches of today say we're under the new covenant? Let's go to Jeremiah 31 and see who the new covenant is for. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. It's important not just who it's for, but what is its function? What is the new covenant? You're absolutely right. And what are the terms of the covenant? So if we look at Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, verse 31 says says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the church. No, it doesn't say with the church. It says with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. If we are grafted into Israel to become part of the new covenant, that means we're grafted into Israel. So to make the argument that, oh, those commandments were for Israel, that's not for us, but the new covenant is for us because we're part of Israel, do you see any disconnect there? And if you look at verse 33, but this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law, that word is Torah, the same Torah as in Deuteronomy, in their minds and write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they should be my people. Theologians of today say, no, no, no. The new covenant's for us. We're saved. He's our God. We're his people, but we don't have to Follow the law. That's, that's irrelevant to us. Do you see a disconnect? And that's not the test yet. 
But people go, wait, 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 that's in Jeremiah, that's Old Testament. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 8. It reads exactly the same way. Hebrews chapter 8. Chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, will I make a new covenant with thee, house of Israel, with thee, house of Judah. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws, that's the Torah, in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So if God looks at Judah and says, why didn't you learn the lessons from Israel? How's it going to go when we stand before God in judgment and go, but, but we're not Israel, that wasn't for us. Did we learn the lesson or did we fail to learn the lesson? Let's go back to Jeremiah. The end of verse 7 is so telling. And her treacherous sister Judah and saw it. Judah should have been shaken in their boots when the northern kingdom went into exile as God had promised in Deuteronomy 28 verse 36. But instead, they said, more for us. We can take all the country now. Verse 8 says, Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I have put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear and went and played the harlot also. In other words, God's saying Judah failed to learn. And went and did the very same sins that caused God to exile Israel. What's that old axiom? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Why were the Canaanites pushed out of the land? For the same sins that Israel committed. And here's Judah going, hey, but not us. <laughs> We're the, we're the children of Jacob. We'll be fine. How's that going to work out for him? Verse 9 says, So it came to pass through her casual harlotry. Casual means she didn't even try to hide it. Didn't care that it was well known. That she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. What does God mean by stones and trees? Pagan idols, that's all the idols are, stones and trees. And yet, for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, now this breaks my heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Just pretending. We call the Lord, Lord. We call him God. We say we're his children. Yeah, but don't expect us to do what he says. Now, come on. You can't really expect that, can you? That is Luke 6.46 screaming. Let's turn over to Luke 6.46, which says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Lord. 
That's exactly what he's saying. You're coming to me with the same pretense as Judah. And how did that go for Judah? Not so well, we're going to find. Luke chapter 6. Verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? I think this is a good time for the quiz. I've been trying to decide when I was going to get it in. I just knew I was going to get it in. You can take out a piece of paper if you want, but I will post the quiz online. What was your favorite kind of question when you were in school? Did you like the essays where they gave you a 30-page book in 10 minutes to write it? No. How about the multiple choice where you have A, B, C, A or B, B or C, C but not A, all the above, none of the aboves? <laughs> My favorite, fill in the blank. No, I like true or false. Except in law school where the answers were neither all true nor all false. You had to decide were they more true or more false. <clears throat> but that's not true with these. These have an answer. So question number one, you ready? If you do not keep his commandments, he says you do not love him, true or false? Give me a verse. Go to John 14, verses 23 to 24. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But John 14, verses 23 to 24 are more specific. John 14, verses 23 to 24. I said you don't have to write it down because I'm going to post it for you. I'm going to give it to you in an email afterwards. If you want to write the question, if you do not keep his commandments, comma, because most start the same way, he says you do not love him. John 14, verses 23 and 24 reads, Yeshua answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Probably the most common email I get, and I get it a lot, says things like, Wayne, my fill-in-the-blank. Sainted grandmother, daughter, children, friend, um, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, etc. Love the Lord with all their heart, even though they believe the law is abolished and wouldn't keep one of them. But they're still going to heaven, right? Because they love them with all their heart. But what does the Bible say? If you do not keep his commandments, he says you do not love them. We're going to get there in a minute. Yeah, we're going to get there in a minute. Okay, so number two. If you do not keep his commandments, comma, he says you do not know him, true or false. And the verse as Daniel just gave is, let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 
And remember, John 17.3 says, to know him is to have eternal life. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let me give you a minute to get there. Number two, if you do not keep his commandments, he says you do not know. It's not that Wayne says. I'll tell you one thing I know for sure. Is that come judgment day, Messiah is not going to say, Wayne, would you come stand by me here and, and for each person tell me whether I should let him through or not? No, that's not going to happen. First John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So number one, if you do not keep his commandments, he says you do not love him. That's true, he does. Number two, if you do not keep his commandments, he says you do not know him. That's correct, he does say that. Number three. You ready for number three, Mulaney? If you do not keep his commandments, comma, he says he does not know you. True or false? Give me a verse. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. That's right. Which is very sobering to me. I lose a lot of sleep over this. Because there's all kinds of people out there believing they love God, they know God, they serve God. And the Lord says, no you don't. So who's going to prevail come judgment day? Is it a self-evaluation? Matthew 7.23 says, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So number one, he says you do not love him. Number two, he says you do not know him. Number three, he says he doesn't know you either. Number four, if you do not keep his commandments, he says he will not hear your prayers. True or false? Proverbs 28.9. Let's turn back to Proverbs 28.9. Sorry? Number four, if you do not keep his commandments, he says he will not hear your prayers. The verse is Proverbs 28, verse 9. And John 9, 31, for those who need a New Testament reference that says the same. Proverbs 28, verse 9, and John chapter 9, verse 31. Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. What does the word abomination mean? Something particularly loathsome in the eyes of God. Does that mean he wants it? He likes it? He loves it? No. It means he's not going to hear it. Question number five. If you do not keep his commandments, comma, 
He says you do not have faith. People think faith means, yeah, I believe Yeshua was crucified and that he rose again. And that's it. Is that it? No. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 to 19. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Enter his rest, we know, is talking about the messianic kingdom into eternal life. Verse 19, so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Lack of faith. Why didn't they obey? Because they did not have faith. If you go down to chapter 4, verse 2, it continues. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the words they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So if you want to add in chapter 4, verse 2, that's fine. Right, it's the same. The gospel is preached to us as well as to them. It doesn't say a gospel. It does not say a gospel. It says the gospel. So it's the same gospel preached to us and to them. It did them no good because they didn't mix it with what? With faith. So just to recap, in 1 through 5, he says you don't love him. You don't know him. He doesn't know you either. He will not hear your prayers. And he says you do not have faith. So at number six, oh, I hate number six. If you do not keep his commandments, he says you are of the devil. Is that true or false? It's all true. (laughs) Is it true or false? Yes. Go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. All this goes against traditional church doctrine. But where are we reading it from? The Bible. Is the Bible true or isn't it? If you do not keep his commandments, he says you're of the devil. Oh, come on, that can't be true. Look at 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4. Lawlessness, not keeping God's commandments. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Number seven. Now, one through six was if you do not keep his commandments. Now we're going to if you do. Have to end in a positive light, right? Number seven. If you keep his commandments... 
He says you are righteous as he is righteous. True or false? That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, the verse right before. Little children, let no one deceive you, meaning the false teachers are going to deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. The question was, if you keep his commandments, he says you are righteous as he is righteous. I didn't put in the word just in the question out of the verse because I didn't want everybody to just immediately remember the verse. Got to think about it a little bit. People have a misunderstanding of what it means to be righteous. They don't equate it with righteousness is, the, is diametrically opposed or the opposite of lawlessness. And where do we learn that it is? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. <laughs> the answer is 1 John chapter 3 verse 7 number 8 if you keep his commandments comma so like number 7 now if you keep it you have the right to the tree of life and the new Jerusalem, otherwise no. True or false? That's Revelation chapter 22. Turn to Revelation 22. What's that, dear? Oh, there's all kinds of places, yeah. For me, if it's in there clearly in the Bible in one place, I can affirm that it's true. So Revelation 22, verses 14 and 15. It says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But... Outsider dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and never loves and practices a lie. Meaning those who choose not to keep God's commandments. Number nine, and this was my last one because it filled up the page. Not that there aren't more. You ready, Melanie? If you keep his commandments and teach others, comma, he says you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's true. Matthew 5.19. So let's go to Matthew 5.19. And also in Daniel 12. Yeah. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
So the title of the quiz here is, Should We Keep His Commandments or Not? When the first six, if we do not keep His commandments, He says, He says, not me, He says, we don't love Him. We don't know Him. He doesn't know us and never did. He will not hear our prayers. He says we do not have faith. He says we are of the devil. And then if we keep his commandments, he says we are righteous as he is righteous. He says we have the right to the tree of life in the new Jerusalem. And he says we shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what do you think? Should we keep his commandments or not? Yes. Judah said, no. Judah said, no, no, I don't care what happened to the northern kingdom. I don't care that they went into captivity. We're going to continue in sin and God's going to bless us anyway. If we go to Romans 15, what lesson do we learn? What happened before is for our learning. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 10. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense. Is pretense sufficient? Is it okay to pretend? Well, let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 2. In fact, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. Do you remember what that means? The first eight verses all start with the letter Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew language. The next eight all start with a Beit, which is the second letter of the Hebrew language. So verse 1 in our Bible is translated wrong. It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. It should be happy instead of blessed. Happy. It means come judgment day, you're going to be happy that you did. So uh, The word blessed there is translated from asher. And asher means happy, not blessed. <laughs> blessed is Baruch. Baruch. So blessed starts with a B. But at any rate, happy are the undefiled. That's the word tamim in Hebrew. What's it mean without spot or blemish? If you're without spot or blemish, are you walking in sin? No, you're not. In the way, that is the way of the Lord. How does the Lord show us the way? Through his commandments. Who walk in the law of the Lord, that's the Torah. But verse 2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Those are his commandments. Is that happy too? Yeah. Who seek him with the whole heart. Not half-hearted. Those who seek him with the whole heart. Do you really want to follow him? Or do you do it because you have to? If it comes to 5 o'clock Friday night and you say, oh goodness, we got to go to Shabbat again. Is God going to be pleased? Uh, no. 
Just stay home. That's right. Yeah, let's go look at that verse. That's a great verse, Daniel. Hebrews 11.6. It's in the honor roll of the faithful, it's called sometimes. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Daniel's right, not those who half-heartedly seek him. Not those that are lukewarm. That's the church of Laodicea. What did God say? I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Ooh, you don't want that. You know, Judah would have fallen into that first part. They believe that there is a God. Yes, that. Judah believed that there is a God. But, but. diligently seek him, which means they truly didn't believe. Right. If they had truly believed, they would diligently seek. You're right. Let's go back to Jeremiah, but to chapter 24. Because Jeremiah hits in this issue again and again, but I only want to look at this extra one in Jeremiah. Then we we'll go to the other books. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. Talking about when... God's children return to him with that whole heart that he's looking for. He says, then I shall give them a heart to know me. Well, if you know God, that means that you keep his commandments, right? We just read that. That I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So the Lord says through Jeremiah, right now you don't love me with your whole heart, but there's coming a time that you will. Amen. That way the people can't lose heart. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 4. Yeah, people ask me a lot. Wayne, don't you think that everybody sitting in the church pews across the world, they're all going to heaven? If I believe that, then we could just all go sit down in some church somewhere and just be happy and... Oh, Matthew 7. Broad is the way that leads where? To destruction, and many there be who find it, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and how many find it? Few. You know, and I don't think a lot of people understand that that's talking to people not who are out in the world, but people who claim to be. Right. That, as well as Matthew chapter 7, 21 and 23, are talking about people who believe they're saved, and they're not. That's why we work so hard to understand the scriptures. Uh, Rain women also be an example of no one in the family of eight. They were the only ones that were saved. I didn't hear everything you said, but I'm, I tend to agree with it because of the ending. I'm talking about Noah, out of all the people on the earth, Noah and his family were the only ones saved. That's right. At the time of the flood, Noah and his family, there were a total of eight out of the entire world's population that were saved. 
At the time of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, only three were delivered from God's judgment. Just three, Noah and his two daughters. His wife left, but she turned back and died. Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there, that is from captivity, enslavement in other nations, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him, what's that next little word? If. You seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. What if you half-heartedly seek him? He didn't promise anything, did he? The promise is if you what? With all your heart and with all your soul. And if you give up pork, I have a relative that won't give up pork. You have a relative that won't give up pork? Show them Isaiah 66, 17. And if that doesn't do it, well, they've made their choice, I guess. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I know people say, Wayne, God couldn't possibly care what we eat. And I say, ask Adam and Eve. <laughs> and there are people that say, Wayne, in Genesis 9, God says we can eat any animal we want. Just as with the green. They always forget that part. In Genesis 1, God told Adam and Eve they could eat from any tree they wanted. No, no, there's no if in Genesis 1. The if comes later. So in Genesis 1, it's a grant of authority. You can eat from the trees. And then later is the restriction, but not from these. So the same way in, in Genesis chapter 9, God gives a general grant of authority that we can now begin to eat from animals, but only the ones he says are clean, not the ones he says are unclean. Now how should... Noah and his family have had any clue which animals were clean or unclean. Yeah, they spent all those months on the ark with either 14 of a clean animal or two of an unclean animal. They had a lot of time to go, ooh, that one's good, this one's bad. Yeah, okay. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know, that one's important because when the Lord was asked what is the greatest commandment, that's the one that he says. That's the one he says is the greatest commandment in the law. Right. Yeah. Not in the Ten Commandments. Not in the Ten Commandments. He said, it's this one in the law. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. If that's the greatest commandment, you think we should take it seriously? I think you're right. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Who quoted that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4? Messiah. Messiah himself did. 
So man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. I wonder if that's why in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, the Lord said, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Hmm. Chapter 10, verse 12 of Deuteronomy. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is God breathed. What's that mean? God breathed. That means, it came out of our mouth. means it came out of His mouth, just like Matthew four four, huh? And it says Yep. Don't forget doctrine. And doctrine. Hmm. So you're telling me that from the Torah all the way through the New Testament, including the words of Messiah, is consistent. That every word God speaks is important to us. Isn't that food for thought? And it's kosher. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. And now Israel, not Jacob. And now Israel. What does the Lord your God require of you but? Meaning this is all the Lord requires of us. To fear the Lord your God. To walk in his ways and to love him. To serve the Lord your God, does it say half-heartedly? No, it says with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, I command you today for your good. What does for your good mean? It's for your benefit. Is God just trying to be an angry taskmaster to punish us? No. They're all for our benefit. Hmm. You know, my, my Bible here, in the heading of that section right there, says the essence of the law. And so many people, when, the, when you talk to them about Torah and you talk about the law, oh, it's a heavy burden, it's a yoke so hard to bear. God had to liberate us from that. It starts out in that chapter, this is the essence of, of the law. This is so the essence. Is to love God and to walk in his commandments so he can bless you. Yep. It's not to burden you. Right. It's to bless you. And how does Ecclesiastes 12 end? This is man's all. This God. is man's all. Fear God, God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. So it comes right back and agrees with Deuteronomy. This, yes, Bill. This New King James Version Bible, uh, the, heads, the heading at, before verse 12 says, Obedience, comma, an expression of grateful love. Yep. And the title of my Bible says, Love the Lord your God. How do you love the Lord your God? What is the love of God? 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 is to keep his commandments. What if you say, I love God and I don't keep his commandments? 1 John 2, 3 says you are a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Go to Matthew chapter 22. That's what Isaiah 66 says, literally. Matthew 22. You know there had to be an origin, right, to that? Uh -huh. Matthew 22, verses 36 to 38. Yeah, yeah, but this is the verse that Daniel referred to a minute ago. He knew I was going there. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
She was said to me, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Does that mean the others are abolished? No. It means that if you do these first two, you'll automatically do the rest. That word hang means summed up. That's what they're trying to get across is they're all pointing to these two. Every commandment of God is either to demonstrate your love to him or to your neighbor. If you murder your neighbor, can you do it in love? No. Matthew chapter 15. In biblical Hebrew, love is an action verb. It's how you treat people. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's how we treat people. Matthew 15, verses 7 to 9. The scribes and Pharisees, when I ask other pastors, why did Yeshua have such a problem with the scribes and Pharisees? They say they were keeping the minutia of the law to earn their salvation. And I go, eh, they weren't keeping the law at all. That's the problem. Look at verse 7. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth. That's what Jeremiah meant. And honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Were they keeping the minutia of the Torah? No. no. They set aside the commandments of God and kept the minutia of their man-made rules and regulations. Right? You have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. But we've all been told that the Pharisees kept the tiniest requirements of God's law. And Jesus hated them for it. It's, they didn't keep God's law. They made their law to substitute for it. Just like the 4th century. Generally, it's just because they've heard it. Rarely can you get them to put a verse with it. Revelation chapter 3. Ooh, I like Revelation. You know I do. Revelation chapter 3. Verses 14 to 16. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Okay. They... Like in Matthew chapter 15, they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Yes, Bill? Uh, Jehovah's Witness used that verse to say that Jesus was created 
I don't care what they say. What does the scripture say? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. He's the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. In Colossians it says he was the creator of the heavens and earth and all that's in them. So the fact that they use the verse out of context doesn't surprise me. If you take verses out of context, you can prove just about anything. Yep. Yeah. So we all agree that they have misused the scripture. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 3. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, let me give you a chance to get back there. Then the Lord said to me, backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Boy, if that doesn't cut to the quick. They were so idolatrous, immoral, and lawless that God cast them out into the world and they're gone. And they say, but she was more righteous than you. It's because you have seen what she incurred and didn't repent. Yes, Daniel? Let's turn to Luke 12. <laughs> the answer is yes, it does. <laughs> I know you don't. Luke 12. It's just, I don't think I've ever found anybody who thinks quite the way I do like you do. Luke 12. Verse, <laughs> verses 47 to 48. Luke 12, verses 47 to 48. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do anything to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. This is the southern kingdom of Judah. She's seen exactly what happened to Israel and still refused to repent. Verse 48. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And I think some people use that and say that it's if you got a lot of money, a lot of wealth, earthly wealth, then you should share it with other people. You know, and I've heard preachers preach sermons about this, about their tithes and offers. And that, well, you know what, I think also... Uh, or instead, and from my point of view, with my life having been forgiven seventy times, seven times, that that's the min much that I have. So then I should be more patient and kind and forgiving to all the people around me. Yeah. If you will not forgive, the scripture says you will not be forgiven. You won't be forgiven either. I mean, so that's, that's a good point. Right mm-hmm. Good. On to verse 12. Back to Jeremiah 3, verse 12. Go, 
Who's God talking to? Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go and proclaim these words toward the north. This is not to Judah now. Jeremiah is sent to preach to the whole world before he's done. So when he preaches to the north, he's talking about the nations that took the northern kingdom captive and spread them around the world. So go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. So this is where Israel is. They were taken by Assyrians scattered throughout the world. That's in the north. So he's going and proclaiming toward the north, Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. What does return mean? Repent. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Oh, wait a minute. Stop. Pause. Mm. They've been in captivity for 2,700 years. Why? They haven't repented yet. That's the point of verse 12, is when you repent, he says, I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. But what if they don't repent? Then they're going to stay in captivity until when? Till they do repent. Will they ever repent? Yes, that's in Ezekiel chapter 37. But it's going to take the tribulation period to bring them to repentance. Ezekiel chapter 37, the vision of the valley of dry bones. This is not on your test, but Ezekiel chapter 37 comes before which chapter? Ezekiel 38, which is the battle of Gog and Magog, which takes place three years into the tribulation period. So when we get to Ezekiel 37, we're talking in times. Ezekiel 37 talks about the first Zionist Congress, the first Aliyah, the 1967 capture of Jerusalem. All that's in Ezekiel 37. But we want to start in verse 15. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, what's the word saying mean? It's a quote, these words came out of the lips of the Lord. As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it. For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. That's the southern kingdom. Then take another stick and write on it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. That's the northern kingdom that went into captivity in 722 BCE by Assyria. They've been separated since the death of Solomon. But verse 17 says, Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. Daniel, you're looking at the Hebrew right now, aren't you? Okay, no, that's okay. That's okay. I think the word is going to be eights, which is tree. One tree. But it doesn't matter. A stick comes from a tree. At least most sticks I know of. But verse 18, and when the children of your people say, come to you saying, will you not show us what you mean by these? Say them, thus says the Lord God. It's actually the Lord, my Lord. My Lord, the Lord, whichever way you want to look at it. Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, the tribes of Israel's companions, and I'll join them with it, with the stick of Judah, 
and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. This is the reunification of the nation of Israel, both the northern and southern kingdoms, back together in one for the first time since the death of King Solomon. It is tree. Thank you. Yep. Eights, which is tree. So one tree representing one kingdom, one nation. Verse 20. Then say then, thus says the Lord God, again, my Lord, the Lord, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone. This is the second regathering when Messiah returns. It's in Isaiah 11, 11. And will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. This is the Messianic kingdom. And I'll make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. Who's that one king? Our Lord. Our, the Lord, Messiah Yeshua. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Now in that, but look at verse 23. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. They shall be my people, and I shall be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. That's John 10, right? Verse 16, yep, one shepherd. And observe my statutes and what? Do them. Okay, that's enough. Let's go back to Jeremiah. So do I. What's that, Rachel? Isn't that a dual fulfillment about how the near-term fulfillment is bringing Israel back and then the, the future fulfillment is the message of the millennial kingdom? No, there is no prior bringing the northern king of Israel back. They went into captivity in 722 BCE and have never come back. Okay, thank you. Yep, they don't come back till the end. Yes, Daniel? I was just going to say, the, the words being translated as tree makes sense in light of Romans 11, where it talks about us being grafted into one tree. Right. There's not two separate trees. There's one tree which we are grafted into. Yep. And then along with the one tree, then they also refer to one flock with one shepherd, trying to use different illustrations of the same concept. And so God's showing right here, his intention is never for there to be two separate trees or two separate groups of people. It's one people. Right. And if there's one flock, Jew and Gentile alike, saved by faith, with one shepherd, how many paths can we walk? Just one. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17, Paul said, What? Don't continue to walk as the Gentiles walk. Okay. So that's not the path we're taking. But I mean, if you think about like what's being taught in churches, it's designed to keep that middle wall of separation up. Because I kind of view the two trees as like being separated by a middle wall of separation. Yeah. And as long as that's up, that's going to keep people from coming into that one tree. Yep. And in the beginning of that separation, was it unintentional or was it very much intentional because of the church hating the Jews? It was very much an anti-Semitic wall that was put up to keep the gospel from going to the Jews. Uh, did that come from God? Uh, no. 
Let's go back to Jeremiah 3. We're making progress. We're up to verse 13. After saying, return, I will not cause my anger to fall on you. For I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. He says, only, meaning this is what I require. Only acknowledge your iniquity. What's iniquity mean? Lawlessness. That you have transgressed against the Lord your God. To have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. So not only did they fail to obey the Lord, they replaced him with a stick in a tree and a stone and a piece of metal. And God says, I'm offended. So only acknowledge that you did this. Repent of it and turn back to me. Is God asking too much? Is that unreasonable? No. Verse 14. Return. What does the word return mean? Repent, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, to Zion, to prophetic Jerusalem. Notice, he didn't say, I will bring you all. What does he say, one from a city and two from a family? Who's he going to return? Only those who repent. That's right. Boy, does that sound at all like Matthew chapter 24? Let's go up to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. Matthew 24, starting with verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. As you guys mentioned earlier, only eight people were saved out of the entire world's population at that time. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Notice men's in italics. It really just says, then two will be, and if you won't be taken, the other left. The one taken is taken in judgment. Remember the parable of the tares? Yeah. And they said, Lord, should we tear up the tares? And he said, no, no, wait until the time of the harvest, and the tares will be torn up and thrown in the fire. Then the wheat will be gathered into the barn. Verse 41, two women, again, women is in italics, it's not there. Just two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. What's his point? Be the one that's saved. Be prepared. That's why he says in verse 42, watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So be always ready. Be ready. Back to Jeremiah 3. 
Verse 15, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart. Oh, there's a whole chapter in Ezekiel about the shepherds of Israel that instead of feeding the flock, were feeding off the flock. But these shepherds in the millennial kingdom will be according to the Lord's own heart. They will shepherd the flocks. They will feed the flocks. They will care for the flocks. They'll protect and defend the flocks. That's going to be great. It says, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. Hosea, yeah, turn to Hosea chapter 4. You're exactly right. Hosea chapter 4. Yeah. Hosea chapter 4, starting in verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Oh, is that because we didn't study enough math in high school? Didn't take enough science. You got to keep reading the Bible. Because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law, the Torah of your God. I also will forget your children. So my people are destroyed for lack of what kind of knowledge? knowledge? Knowledge of the Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. Keep a finger here and go to Psalm 119, verse what, Daniel? I don't know if I saw it. One twenty-six. Psalm 119, verse 126. I've got it bracketed, so I know where it's at. <laughs> yeah, well, I do too. It's on the right-hand side of the right-hand page. It's time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your Torah, your law, as void. Does that describe today? So what should we expect the Lord to start doing? Do you see any judgments around the world? Any floods? Any earthquakes? Any volcanoes? Any? Just keep going on. How many times do you listen to the news and say the worst this in history, the worst that in history, the first time in history this has ever happened? Yeah, and people, instead of going and studying the scripture for themselves, they believe that the preacher would not lie to them, would not mislead them, right? Yep. Hosea chapter 6, since you kept a finger in Hosea. I actually remember to tell you this time. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord. Isn't that what God keeps saying? Return to me, return to me. It's going to take the tribulation period for Israel to return in full. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, he will bind us up, meaning it was our fault. We sinned. After two days, he'll revive us. That's about 2,000 years. On the third day, he'll raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know 
Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. What is the knowledge of the Lord? It's the Torah. His going forth is established as the morning. Come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. That's talking about the first and second coming of the Lord. If you don't want to be caught off guard or by surprise when the Lord returns, what do you study? Study Torah, specifically Leviticus 23. And it goes right to 1 Thessalonians 5. Right. You don't want to be in the they group. You want to be in the you group. Absolutely right. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 3. We're up to verse 16. Then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more. The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind. Nor shall they remember it. Nor shall they visit it. Nor shall it be made anymore. Oh. Let me ask that. Which days do they mean by those days? Talking about the messianic kingdom. Why will they not have to think about the ark which contains stone tablets? Because Messiah will be teaching them from the temple and the word will be written on their heart. Yes, dear. Okay. That's right. Messiah will be teaching it himself. You don't have to go read about it. He's going to teach it to us. Isn't that going to be cool? So then when all these people talk about this prophet, this current prophet today is saying this about the ark and that about the ark, this right here is saying that the ark is, his days is over. Nope. When we come to the messianic kingdom. Right. So. Right. So when we talk about the ark and the temple that's about to be rebuilt, that's before the messianic kingdom. But when Messiah returns, he's the living Torah. He will teach it. We won't have to guess anymore what some of these things mean. And verse 17 says, at that time, at that time, when Messiah returns and establishes the kingdom, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. Why would they call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord? Because that's where he's going to rule and reign from. And all the nations shall be gathered to it. Sounds like we're going to have to read Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 pretty soon, aren't we? Zechariah 14, verse 16, yep. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil heart. Oh, man, that's exciting. Let's go to Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is the new covenant. It comes into its full effect when Messiah returns. We entered into it at Messiah's first coming. His blood was the blood of the new covenant. But we're fully into it in the Messianic kingdom. Verse 33 and verse 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my Torah, my law, in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. Yipper. Do you see a disconnect? Me too. Go to Deuteronomy 30. God describes the very same time frame all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verses 1 through 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 1 to 6. And it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you when you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God. What's that mean? When you repent. And obey his voice. Shema Kolo, Obey his voice. According to all that I command you today. Have the commandments changed? He says, according to all that I command you today. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. No more half-heartedness. That the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. That's Isaiah 11, 11, That regathering when Messiah returns for the kingdom. And have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, as in Georgia. From there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Remember that phrase is going to come up again in Jeremiah. Circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Circumcision of the heart means... I have taken away all the sin out of my life. And I'm now walking uprightly according to the commandments of God. We looked at Jeremiah 31 verses 33 to 34. Then to Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 6. Yep. And then to Ezekiel 43. In Ezekiel 43, the Lord returns. It says it will be called the throne of the Lord. Let's go see it. Ezekiel 43. The Lord returns from the Mount of Olives in verse 1. Goes across the Kidron Valley into the Temple Mount. In verse 7, speaking from the temple, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, this, this is the temple, is the place of my throne. That is where Messiah will rule and reign. And the place of the soles of my feet, which means ownership and possession. Where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. And what's he going to teach? Look at chapter 44, verses 23 and 24. 
with the Messiah on the throne. He's teaching, the priests are teaching, and here's what they're teaching. Deuteronomy 30 said it's the same Torah as before. Let's see what Ezekiel says. Chapter 44, verse 23. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws, that's my Torah, and my statutes, and all my appointed meetings, that's Leviticus 23, Passover, 11, bread, etc. And they shall hallow my Sabbaths. Can't pass up Isaiah 2. Jeremiah said all the nations are going to come up to learn Torah from Messiah. Isaiah taught that a hundred years before. Before Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 to 4. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Have you found it? I don't want to get ahead of you. Isaiah 2, verse 2. You there? All right. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, but that's wrong. It's the end of days, which means the Messianic kingdom. In a Hebrew published Bible, it's capitalized, the end of days. That the mountain, the Lord's house, in prophecy, a mountain is a kingdom. So this is the Messianic kingdom. Shall be established on the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills. That's over every other kingdom on earth. And all nations shall flow to it. How many? All nations. Many people shall come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain, Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. What's the house of the God of Jacob? That's the temple. Who's sitting in the temple, according to Ezekiel 43? Messiah is. He, Messiah, will teach us his ways. For we shall walk in his path. That's the one shepherd leading the flock. For out of Zion, Zion, prophetic Jerusalem, shall go forth, what? The Torah, the law. Has it been done away with? No. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Let's do what I should have done before. I mentioned Matthew 28. Let's go to Matthew 28. I didn't have you turn there. I should have. Why do I have people turn to the passages? I want you to see it with your own eyes. How many of you realize that Matthew 28 is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah? Yep. He was crucified, he was buried, he was raised again. Verse 18, the Great Commission. And Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying, what's that word saying? What follows is a quote. 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. What's a disciple? It's not a convert. It's a student. Of all the nations. The word nations means the Gentiles. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice one name. Teaching them. That's what you do with students. You teach them. Right teachers? Chasing them to observe. To observe, that word is actually to do all things that I have commanded you. Which things? All things. And what did he say in Matthew 5? How many letters or pieces of letters will pass from the Torah? None. All things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now go back to Micah chapter 4. Micha, who is like? Me is who? Cha is like. Micha. Short for Michael, who is like God. Do you realize in the Bible they had nicknames like we do today? Yep. Eli for Elijah. Micha for Michael. Dan for Daniel. Wonder how you guessed that one. Or Danny, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Or Boaz for Ibsen. Notice the B sound and the C sound are the middle of Ibsen. I'm hydrating. I'm hydrating. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass in the end of days. In Hebrew, it's Acharitayamim. That the mountain of the Lord's house should be established on the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the Torah, the law, shall go forth. And we're the Lord from Jerusalem. I added the word all in verse 1 when I said, and all people shall flow to it because of Zechariah 14, 16. I was expecting somebody to go, wait a minute, Wayne, you added a word, but you guys didn't. You knew where I was going. Zechariah 14, 16. Yeah. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, that's at the Battle of Armageddon, shall go up from year to year to worship the king. Who's the king? Messiah Yeshua. Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah 14, verse 16. Zechariah 14, 16. They're all coming. What's that? That's the messianic kingdom. The thousand year reign. That's when Isaiah says and Micah says Messiah is teaching the Torah to all who come up from the nations. And who's coming? They all are. So, so we're keeping, so this is in the messianic kingdom. This is in the messianic kingdom. We're keeping a feast that's been abolished. And we're keeping a feast that the church would tell us has been abolished. The most ridiculous thing I think I've ever heard a preacher say is that the feasts and festivals of Leviticus chapter 23 have nothing to do with the church. 
Messiah was crucified at Passover, buried unleavened bread, arose at first fruits, and the Holy Spirit came at Shavuot. Yeah, okay. Back to <laughs> Jeremiah. Verse 18. In those days, talking about the days of the Messianic kingdom, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. Remember Ezekiel 37 verses 15 to 25? That's exactly what it's talking about. Reunited back into one kingdom under one king with one shepherd leading one flock. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. So Judah and Israel's captivity will finally come to a 100% complete end. We have seen in our lifetimes Israel begin to return, but it's only a beginning. What does God say about Jerusalem in the day of the Lord? That they're going to have to keep stretching out the boundaries as more and more people come pouring in that didn't even know they were from the nations of Israel. Because what happened to those northern ten tribes? They got lost, if you will. There are people groups throughout Europe and Asia that had no idea that they were part of Israel. But they'll find out, won't they? Yep, er. Verse 19. But I said, How can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the host of nations? Answer, of course. Once they repent. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. That's what he's waiting on. For the children of Israel to repent, come back to God, and once more call me my father. When they asked the Lord, teach us to pray, how did he begin? Our father who art in heaven, come call me my father. That's to repent. God says, I shall be a father to you one time in the whole of scripture. You might know where that is. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In Leviticus 11, God said, What happens to you when you eat the unclean foods? You make yourself what? Abominable. 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 So the one time in the scripture where God says, I will be a father to you, is in 2 Corinthians 6.18. But let's start in verses 16 and 17 and then into 18. What agreement is the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
therefore. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch, or better, do not cling to what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Who is this written to? Second Corinthians. Believers from Jews or Gentiles? From Gentiles, from the Gentile world. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will be a father to you. What does Paul say? Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If we're eating piggy, shrimp, and lobsters, are we holy or are we an abomination in the sight of God? Hmm. Let's go to Romans 9. Romans 9. Verses 25 to 27. He says, also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people. That's referring to Gentiles who've been saved by faith. And her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Would you like to be a child of the living God? Don't be an abomination in his eyes. Back to Jeremiah 3. We're running out of time. But we're not done yet. Verse 20. Surely, as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. So what's he calling Israel to do? Repent. A voice was heard on the desolate heights, weeping and supplications to the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. This is the promise that someday Israel will repent. Israel will come back. Israel will make a right choice. Go back to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. Verses 15 to 20. In the key verses 19. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, the key verse being 19. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that 
I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, what caused you not to hear? The heart turned away. And are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. It's not that God doesn't care which choice you make. He pleads with you, pleads with you, please choose life. That both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. So what does Moses say here? You do. If you want to choose life, you love the Lord your God, you obey his voice, and you cling to him. Cling as in, don't let go. Don't anyone talk you into letting go. And speaking of letting go, our time has expired. So we'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23.